This sermon was created with an artificial voice for the audiobook initiative on Sermon Audio. There may be mispronunciations or occasional repetitions. To report a mistake, please email us at info at sermonaudio.com and include the sermon ID or title of the message and the time at which the error occurs. We will do our best to get it corrected for future listeners. The Greatness of the Soul, Part 5 By John Bunyan The Loss of the Soul Most Fearful Thirdly, as the loss of the soul is a loss peculiar to itself, and a loss double, so, in the third place, it is a loss most fearful, because it is a loss attended with the most heavy curse of God. This is manifest both in the giving of the rule of life, and also in, and at the time of execution for, the breach of that rule. It is manifest at the giving of the rule, Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them. And all the people shall say, Amen. It is also manifest that it shall be so at the time of execution. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. What this curse is, none do know so well as God that giveth it. And as the fallen angels and the spirits of damned men that are now shut up in the prison of hell, and bear it. But certainly it is the chief and highest of all kind of curses, to be cursed in the basket and in the store, in the womb and in the barn, in my cattle and in my body, are but fleabitings to this, though they are also insupportable in themselves. Only in general it may be described thus. But to touch upon this curse... It lieth in deprivation of all good, and in a being swallowed up of all the most fearful miseries that a holy and just and eternal God can righteously inflict, or lay upon the soul of a sinful man. Now let reason here come in and exercise itself in the most exquisite manner. Yea, let him now count up all, and all manner of curses and torments that a reasonable and an immortal soul is or can be made capable of, and able to suffer under, and when he has done, when he has done, he shall come infinitely short of this great anathema, this master curse which God has reserved amongst his treasuries, and intends to bring out in that day of battle and war, which he purposeth to make upon damned souls in that day. And this God will do partly as a retaliation as the former, and partly by way of revenge. 1. By way of retaliation. As he loved cursing, so let it come unto him. As he delighted not in blessing, so let it be far from him. Again, as he clothed himself with cursing like as with his garment, so let it come into his bowels like water, and like oil into his bones. Let it be unto him as a garment which covereth him, and for a girdle wherewith he is girded continually. Let this, saith Christ, be the reward of mine adversaries from the Lord. 2. As this curse comes by way of retaliation, so it cometh by way of revenge. God will right the wrongs that sinners have done him, will repay vengeance for the despite and reproach wherewith they have affronted him, and will revenge the quarrel of his covenant. 
and the beginning of revenges are terrible. What then will the whole execution be when he shall come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ? And therefore this curse is executed in wrath, in jealousy, in anger, in fury, in fury. Yea, the heavens and the earth shall be burned up with the fire of that jealousy in which the great God will come, when he cometh to curse the souls of sinners, and when he cometh to defy the ungodly, it is little thought of, but the manner of the coming of God to judge the world declares what the souls of impenitent sinners must look for then. It is common among men when we see the form of a man's countenance changed, when we see fire sparkle out of his eyes, when we read rage and fury in every cast of his face, even before he says aught, or doth aught either to conclude that some fearful thing is now to be done. Why, it is said of Christ when he cometh to judgment that the heavens and the earth fly away, as not being able to endure his looks, that his angels are clad in flaming fire, and that the elements melt with fervent heat. And all this is that the perdition of ungodly men might be completed from the presence of the Lord, in the heat of his anger, from the glory of his power. Therefore, God will now be revenged, and so ease himself of his enemies, when he shall cause curses like millstones to fall, as thick as hail on the hairy scalp of such a one as goeth on still in his trespasses. But the loss of the soul a loss everlasting. Fourthly, as the loss of the soul is a loss peculiar to itself, a loss double and a loss most fearful, so it is a loss everlasting. The soul that is lost is never to be found again, never to be recovered again, never to be redeemed again. Its banishment from God is everlasting. The fire in which it burns and by which it must be tormented is a fire that is ever everlasting fire, everlasting burnings, everlasting burnings. The adder, the snake, the stinging worm, dieth not, nor is the fire quenched. And this is a fearful thing. A man may endure to touch the fire with a short touch and away, but to dwell with everlasting burnings, that is fearful. Oh, then what is dwelling with them and in them forever and ever? We used to say, light burdens far carried are heavy. What then will it be to bear that burden, that guilt, that the law and the justice and wrath of God will lay upon the lost soul forever? Now tell the stars, now tell the drops of the sea, and now tell the blades of grass that are spread upon the face of all the earth, if thou canst, and yet sooner mayest thou do this than count the thousands of millions of thousands of years that a damned soul shall lie in hell. Suppose every star that is now in the firmament was to burn by himself one by one a thousand years apiece, would it not be a long while before the last of them was burned out? And yet sooner might that be done than the damned soul be at the end of punishment. There are three things couched under this last head that will fill up the punishment of a sinner. One, the first is that it is everlasting. Two, the second is that, therefore, 
it will be impossible for the souls in hell ever to say, Now we are got halfway through our sorrows. 3. The third is, and yet every moment they shall endure eternal punishment. 1. The first I have touched upon already, and therefore shall not enlarge. Only I would ask the wanton or unthinking sinner, whether twenty or thirty or forty years of the deceitful pleasures of sin, is so rich a prize, as that a man may well venture the ruin, that everlasting burnings will make upon his soul for the obtaining of them and living a few moments in them. Sinner, consider this before I go any further, or before thou readest one line more. If thou hast a soul, it concerns thee. If there be a hell, it concerns thee. And if there be a God that can and will punish the soul for sin everlastingly in hell, it concerns thee. Because, too, in the second place, it will be impossible for the damned soul ever to say, I am now God halfway through my sorrows. That which has no end has no middle. Sinner, make a round circle or ring upon the ground of what bigness thou wilt. This done, go thy way upon that circle or ring until thou comest to the end thereof. But that, sayest thou, I can never do, because it has no end, I answer. But thou mayest as soon do that as wade halfway through the lake of fire that is prepared for impenitent souls. Sinner, what wilt thou take to make a mountain of sand that will reach as high as the sun is at noon? I know that thou wilt not be engaged in such a work, because it is impossible thou shouldst ever perform it. But I dare say the task is greater when the sinner has let out himself to sin for a servant. Because the wages is everlasting burnings, I know thou mayest perform thy service. But the wages, the judgment, the punishment is so endless that thou, when thou hast been in it more millions of years than can be numbered, art not, nor never yet shalt be, able to say, able to say, I am halfway through it. And yet, three, that soul shall partake every moment of that punishment that is eternal. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. One, they shall endure eternal punishment in the nature of punishment. There is no punishment here wherewith one man can chastise another that can deserve a greater title than that of transient or temporary punishment. But the punishment there is eternal, even in every stripe that is given, and in every moment that it grappleth with the soul. Even every twinge, every gripe, and every stroke that justice inflicteth, leaveth anguish that of their condition according as will best stand with in the nature of punishment, is eternal behind it. It is eternal because it is from God and lasts forever and ever. The justice that inflicts it has not a beginning, and it is this justice in the operations of it that is always dealing with the soul. 2. All the workings of the soul under this punishment are such as cause it, in its sufferings, to endure that which is eternal. 
it can have no thought of the end of punishment, but it is presently recalled by the decreed gulf that bindeth them under perpetual punishment. The great fixed gulf, they know, will keep them in their present place and not suffer them to go to heaven. And now there is no other place but heaven or hell to be in, for then the earth and the works that are therein will be burned up. Read the text. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and all the works that are therein shall be burned up. If, then, there will be no third place, it standeth in their minds, as well as in God's decree, that their punishments shall be eternal. So then, sorrows, anguish, tribulation, grief, woe, and pain will in every moment of its abiding upon the soul not only flow from thoughts of what has been and what is, but also from what will be, and that forever and ever. Thus every thought that is truly grounded in the cause and nature of their state will roll, toss us, and tumble them up and down in the cogitations and fearful apprehensions of the lastingness of their damnation. For, I say, their minds, their memories, their understandings and consciences will all and always be swallowed up with forever. Yea, they themselves will, by the means of these things, be their own tormentors forever. 3. There will not be spaces, as days, months, years, and the like, as now. Though we make bold, so to speak, the better to present our thoughts to each other's capacities. For then there shall be time no longer. Also day and night shall then be come to an end. He hath compassed the waters with bounds until the day and night come to an end, until the end of light with darkness. Now when time and day and night are come to an end, then there comes an eternity as there was before the day and night or time was created. And when this is come, punishment nor glory must none of them be measured by days or months or years, but by eternity itself. Nor shall those concerned either in misery or glory reckon of their now new state, as they need to reckon of things in this world. But they shall be suited in their capacities, in their understandings and apprehensions, to judge and count of their condition according as will best stand with their state in eternity. Could we but come to an understanding of things done in heaven and hell, as we understand how things are done in this world, we should be strangely amazed to see how the change of places and of conditions has made a change in the understandings of men and in the manner of their enjoyment of things. But this we must let alone till the next world and until our launching into it. And then, whether we be of the right or left-hand ones, we shall well know the state and condition of both kingdoms. In the meantime, let us addict ourselves to the belief of the scriptures of truth, for therein is revealed the way to that of eternal life and how to escape the damnation of the soul. But thus, much for the loss of the soul, unto which let me add, for a conclusion, these verses following.
these cry alas, but all in vain, they stick fast in the mire, they would be rid of present pain, yet set themselves on fire. Darkness is their perplexity, yet do they hate the light, they always see their misery, yet are themselves all night. They are all dead, yet live they do, yet neither live nor die, they die to weal and live to woe, this is their misery. Now will confusion so possess these monuments of ire, and so confound them with distress, and trouble their desire, that what to think, or where to lay their head, what to do, or where to lay their head, they know not. Tis the damned's woe to live, and yet be dead. These castaways would fain have life, but no, they never shall, but no, they never shall. They would forget their dreadful plight, but that sticks fastest of all. God, Christ, and heaven, they know our best, yet dare not on them think. They not on them think. They know the saints enjoy their rest, while they their tears do drink, of the cause of the loss of the soul. Fourth, and now I am come to the fourth thing, that is, to show you the cause of the soul that men have souls, that souls are great things, that souls may be lost, this I have showed you already. Wherefore I now proceed to show you the cause of this loss. The cause is laid down in the eighteenth chapter of Ezekiel. In these words, Behold all souls, says God are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Sin the cause of the loss of his soul. First it is sin, then or sinning against God. That is the cause of dying or damning in hellfire. For that must be meant by dying. Otherwise, to die, according to our ordinary acceptation of the notion, the soul is not capable of, it being indeed immortal as hath been afore asserted. So then, the soul that sinneth, that is, and persevering in the same, that soul shall die, be cast away, or damned. Yea, to ascertain us of the undoubted truth of this, the Holy Ghost doth repeat it again, and that in this very chapter, saying, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Now, the soul may divers ways be said to sin against God, as one, in its receiving of sin into its bosom, and in its retaining and entertaining of it there. Sin must first be received before it can act in, or be acted by, the soul. Our first parents first received it in the suggestion or motion, and then acted it. Now it is not here to be disputed when sin was received by the soul, so much as whether ever the soul received sin. For if the soul has indeed received sin into itself, then it has sinned, and by doing so has made itself an object of the wrath of God and a firebrand of hell. I say, I will not here dispute when sin was received by the soul but it is apparent enough that it receive it betimes, because in old time every child that was brought unto the Lord was to be redeemed, and that at a month old, which to be sure was very early, 
and implied that then, even then, the soul in God's judgment stood before him as defiled and polluted with sin. But although I said I will not dispute at what time the soul may be said to receive sin, yet it is evident that it was precedent to the redemption made mention of just before. And so before the person redeemed had attained the age of a month, and that God might, in the language of Moses, give us to see cause of the necessity of this redemption, he first distinguisheth and saith, the firstling of a cow or the firstling of a sheep or the firstling of a goat did not need this redemption, for they were clean or holy. But the firstborn of men, who was taken in lieu of the rest of the children, and the firstling of unclean beasts thou shalt surely redeem, saith he, but why was the firstborn of men coupled with unclean beasts? But because they are both unclean. The beast was unclean by God's ordination, but the other was unclean by sin. Now then, it will be demanded how a soul, before it was a month old, could receive sin to the making of itself unclean. I answer, there are two ways of receiving, one active, the other passive. This last is the way by which the soul at first receiveth sin, and by so receiving becometh culpable, because polluted and defiled by it. And this passive way of receiving is often mentioned in Scripture. Thus the pans received the ashes, thus the molten sea received three thousand baths. Thus the ground receiveth the seed, and this receiving is like that of the wool which receiveth the dye, either black, white, or red. And as the fire that receiveth the water, till it be all quenched therewith, or as the water receiveth such stinking and poisonous matter into it, as for the sake of it, it is poured out and spilt upon the ground. But whence should the soul thus receive sin? I answer from the body, while it is in the mother's belly, the body comes from polluted man, and therefore is polluted. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? The soul comes from God's hand, and therefore as so is pure and clean. But being put into this body, it is tainted, polluted, and defiled with the taint, stench, and filth of sin. Nor can this stench and filth be by man purged out when once from the body got into the soul. Sooner may the blackamoor change his skin, or the leopard his spots, than the soul, were it willing, might purge itself of this pollution. Though thou wash thee with nitre, and take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before me, saith the Lord God. 2. But as I said, the soul has not only received sin, but retains it, holds it, and shows no kind of resistance. It is enough that the soul is polluted and defiled, for that is sufficient to provoke God to cast it away. For which of you would take a cloth annoyed with stinking ulcerous sores to wipe your mouth with all, or to thrust it into your bosoms? And the soul is polluted with far worse pollution than any such can be. But this is not all. It retains sin as the wool retains the dye, or as the infected water receives the stench or poisonous scent. I say, it retains it willingly, 
For all the power of the soul is not only captivated by a seizure of sin upon the soul, but it willingly, heartily, unanimously, unanimously, universally falleth in with the natural filth and pollution that is in sin, to the estranging of itself from God, and an obtaining of an intimacy and compliance with the devil. Now this being the state and condition of the soul from the belly, yea, from before it sees the light of this world, what can be concluded but that God is offended with it? For how can it otherwise be, since there is holiness and justice in God? Hence those that are born of a woman, whose original is by carnal conception with man, are said to be as serpents so soon as born. The wicked, and all at first are so, go astray as soon as they be born, speaking's lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf adder that stoppeth her ear. They go astray from the belly, but that they would not do if aught of the powers of their soul were unpolluted. But their poison is like the poison of a serpent. Their poison, what is that? Their pollution, their original pollution, that is as the poison of a serpent, to wit, not only deadly, for so poison is, but also hereditary. It comes from the old one, from the sire and dam, yea, it is also now become connatural to and with them, and is of the same date with the child as born into the world. The serpent has not her poison in the original of it, either from imitation or from other infective things abroad, though it may by such things be helped forward and increased. But she brings it with her in her bowels, in her nature, and it is to her as suitable to her present condition as it is that which is most sweet and wholesome to other of the creatures. So then, every soul comes into the world is poisoned with sin, nay, as such which have poison connatural to them. For it has not only received sin as the wool has received the dye, but it retaineth it. The infection is got so deep, it has taken the black so effectually, that the tint, the very fire of hell, can never purge the soul therefrom, and that the soul has received this infection thus early, and that it retains it so surely, is not only signified by children coming into the world besmeared in their mother's blood, and by the firstborns being redeemed at a month old, but also by the first inclinations and actions of children when they are so come into the world, who sees not that lying pride Disobedience to parents and hypocrisy do put forth themselves in children before they know that they do either well or ill in so doing, or before they are capable to learn either of these arts by imitation or seeing understandingly the same things done first by others. He that sees not that they do it naturally from a principle, from an inherent principle, is either blinded and has retained his darkness by the same sin as they, or has suffered himself to be swayed by a delusion from him who had first infused this spawn of sin into man's nature. Nor doth the averseness of children to morality a little demonstrate what has been said. For as it would make a serpent sick, should one give it a strong antidote against his poison, so then are children, and never more than then, disturbed in their minds, 
when a strict hand and a stiff rein by moral discipline is maintained over and upon them. True, sometimes restraining grace corrects them, but that is not of themselves. But more oft hypocrisy is the great and first moving wheel to all their seeming compliances with admonitions, which indulgent parents are apt to overlook, yea, and sometimes through unadvisedness, to count for the principles of grace. I speak now of that which comes before conversion. But as I said before, I would not now dispute. Only I have thought good thus to urge these things to make my assertion manifest, and to show what is the cause of the damnation of the soul. 3. Again, as the soul receives sin and retains it, so it also doth entertain it, that is, countenance, smile upon, and like its complexion and nature well. A man may detain, that is, hold fast, a thing which yet he doth not regard, but when he entertains, then he countenances, likes, and delights in the company. Sin, then, is first received by the soul, as has been afore explained, and by that reception is polluted and defiled. This makes it hateful in the eyes of justice. It is now polluted. Then, secondly, this sin is not only received but retained, that is, it sticks so fast, abides so fixedly in the soul, that it cannot be gotten out. This is the cause of the continuation of abhorrence. For if God abhors because there is a being of sin there, it must needs be that he should continue to abhor, since sin continues to have a being there. But then, in the third place, sin is not only received, detained, but entertained by the now defiled and polluted soul. Wherefore this must needs be a cause of the continuance of anger, and that with aggravation. When I say entertained, I do not mean as men entertain their enemies with small and great shot, but as they entertain those whom they like, and those that are got into their affections. And therefore the wrath of God must certainly be led out upon the soul to the everlasting damnation of it. Now that the soul doth thus entertain sin is manifest by these several particulars. 1. It hath admitted it with complacence and delight into every chamber of the soul. I mean, it has been delightfully admitted to an entertainment by all the powers or faculties of the soul. The soul hath chosen it rather than God. It also at God's command refuseth to let it go. Yea, it chooseth that doctrine, and loveth it best since it must have a doctrine that has most of sin and baseness in it. They say to the seers, See not, and to the prophets, Prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits. These are signs that the soul with liking hath entertained sin. And if there be at any time, as indeed there is a warrant issued out from the mouth of God to apprehend, to condemn and mortify sin, why then too? These shifts the souls of sinners do presently make for the saving of sin from those things that by the word men are commanded to do unto it. A will, if possible, hide it, and not suffer it to be discovered. He that hideth his sins shall not prosper. And again they hide it, and refuse to let it go. 
This is an evident sign that the soul has a favor for sin, and that with liking it entertains it. Be as it will hide it, so it will excuse it and plead that this and that piece of wickedness is no such evil thing. Men need not be so nice and make such a pother about it, calling those that cry out so hotly against it, men more nice than wise. Hence the prophets of old used to be called madmen, and the world would reply against their doctrine, wherein have we been so wearisome to God, and what have we spoken so much against him? A.C. as the soul will do this, so to save sin, it will cover it with names of virtue, either moral or civil. And of this God greatly complains, yea, breaks into anger for this, saying, Woe to them that call evil good and good evil! That put darkness for light, and light for darkness, and put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. D. If convictions and discovery of sin be so strong and so plain, that the soul cannot deny but that it is sin, and that God is offended therewith, then it will give flattering promises to God that it will indeed put it away. But yet it will prefix a time that shall be long first, if it also then at all performs it, saying, Yet a little sleep, yet a little slumber, yet a little folding of sin in mine arms, till I am older, till I am richer, till I have had more of the sweetness and the delights of sin. Thus their soul delighteth in their abominations. E if God yet pursues, and will see whether this promise of putting sin out of doors shall be fulfilled by the soul, why then, Fen, then it will be partial in God's law. It will put away some and keep some. Put away the grossest and keep the finest. Put away those that can best be spared and keep the most profitable for a help at a pinch. F. Yes, if all sin must be abandoned, or the soul shall have no rest, why then, the soul and sin will part with such a parting as it is, even as Faltiel parted with David's wife, with an ill will and a sorrowful mind, or as Orpah left her mother with a kiss. G. And if at any time they can or shall meet with each other again, and nobody never the wiser, Oh, what courting will be betwixt sin and the soul! And this is called doing of things in the dark. By all these and many more things that might be instanced, it is manifest that sin has a friendly entertainment by the soul, and that therefore the soul is guilty of damnation. For what do all these things argue? But that God, His word, His ways and graces are out of favor with the soul and that sin and Satan are its only pleasant companions?